As always, it is my pleasure that you join me for today's podcast of Second Chance Coaching. My name is Dr. Richard Lewis. If you'd be so kind as to leave me a rating and your feedback, I would very much appreciate it and it will help others like you to optimally discover this podcast wherever you listen to this and your other favorite podcast. As you know, at Second Chance Coaching, we focus on seeing everyday life through the eyes of the returning citizen and highlighting the resiliency of the human spirit. I would love to work with you one-on-one, whether you're a returning citizen or coaching client seeking your second chance, or you're a representative of a business, college, or university seeking to integrate and support returning citizens in your respective organizational and learning environments. Please feel free to contact me via email at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Welcome again to another edition of Second Chance Coaching. As always, it is my pleasure to join you on another week of your reentry journey from whichever corner of the world you are listening from. You know, this week has been, this past week has really been a, a week. Um, two of my classes that I'm teaching are in their short semester, so we're pretty much um, approaching the last week. And sometimes, you know, the kids, they struggle with getting through a lot of the projects and getting through what it is that they have to do. And as a teacher, you really try to uplift them and get them to that place as far as saying, okay, let's push it to the next level. Let's get to the next level. And sometimes the kids are not motivated to get to that place. A lot of them are, but then there's some that are not. And if any of you are teachers or mentors or coaches, you understand that a lot of times you don't spend a lot of time celebrating the ones that accomplish. A lot of times what you remember most or what makes you feel guilty about is the ones that you miss or the ones that don't do what they're supposed to do and you and you really wish you could go out and help them so you know that's that was something that's been going on this week and so certainly by next week hopefully i can report better news that some of the ones that are struggling to get over the hump or turn it around have indeed turned turned it around in addition in the last week you know i've been increasing my workouts with the circuit training i've been doing as well as increasing my water intake you know when i have my follow-up appointment with my with my doctor in December so you know I got to report some weight loss and some improvements because you know she she knows how to make you feel guilty so I have to make sure I do that but of course it's just better to be in better shape and you know in doing these workouts you know I felt great emotionally during these workouts but I could tell you that body soreness was unreal (laughs) unreal it was it was it was something I never felt before because lifting weights you know you could do one thing but doing that full circuit and that band resistance, yeah, that's a that's another level. But you know, ever since I moved into my condo, uh, you know, it was hard to get a good regular workout team routine going. So I'm glad I started this. But that regular ro- workout routine was tough. And once again, also that too, I was definitely feeling guilty about that. So certainly, I'm going to be looking to increase those workouts and not have that guilty feeling any longer. Even though. I could certainly be hard on myself by not even acknowledging the incremental progress um, that I that I have while I'm still trying to quote unquote pick up where I left off when I interrupted my regular workout routine when I first moved here. But you know, speaking, you know, two things I talked about in regards to guilt during my 
reflection time this week, it made me think about so many things I felt guilty about in my life and how that guilt and how guilt could really hold us back, as, could hold me back, hold you back from just freeing ourselves and really living our best life. And of course, you know, the researcher in me said, okay, let me get what the definition of guilt is. What is guilt? So according to psychology today, that they define guilt as the sense of regret or responsibility for thoughts, words, or actions. This could happen when you perceived you've harmed someone or think you've made a mistake or have gone against your personal moral code of conduct. In some ways, you know, in looking at the research, I was even thinking the same thing too. In some ways, guilt could be a positive emotion because it helps you learn from your mistakes. But at the same time, you could feel really guilty for situations that you believe that you're actually in fault in. You know, it, it, it's really a funny two-headed coin in that dynamic, you know, that being that dynamic that guilt is. Because guilt could help guide you in repairing any perceived wrongdoings or actual wrongdoings that, that, that you've done. But also that funny dynamic could also become toxic in which guilt in that toxic form could almost render you paralyze you and no longer want no longer be motivated to make any positive changes because you're just so weighed down by the guilt you feel like there's nothing else you could do and and speaking directly you know with you as we always do all of us regardless of differences in culture or background or whatever there's always something or some things we carry or have carried guilt about assuming you have a conscience you know what i mean but it could range from a number of things like, you know, how we how we've treated someone, maybe not keeping our word, or just disappointing loved ones, or just disappointing loved ones, just to name a few things. You know, one of my most vivid childhood memories of holding guilt or, or, or dealing with guilt was a combination of disappointing my father and my love of comic books. So let me tell you this. When I was a kid, I just loved to read, loved to read. Now, that hasn't changed. I still love to read as an adult. But as a kid, I loved to read. And comic books was a, was just a love for me. I would spend the little allowance I would get on comic books, you know, to be a kid. You don't have mortgages or bills to pay. You could just take your money and spend it on comic books. And even when my love of collecting and reading comics or, or collecting comics outlasted my allowance, I allowed peer pressure and bad influences to mix my purchases with actually shoplifting comics when I couldn't afford it. And I did that out of my out of the local store in our neighborhood. And you know, I was a kid, so you know, you're a kid, you think you're so smart. I just thought I was so smart. And then the, when the day happened that I got caught shoplifting, the manager, you know, took the comic books that I tried to shoplift. He pushed my the bag into my chest. And I was standing there frozen that I was caught because, you know, I knew I was wrong. And he told me to get out of his store and to never return to that store again. Never. That I was never that I was to never come back inside that store. At that moment, the reality just crashed down as far as what I was, what was happening. I felt so bad. I felt so guilty. I just, you know, of course, and I, as a kid, my first thing is I can't get comics from that store anymore. But then even further, I had to process that my behavior created a situation that my presence in a particular place was completely unwelcomed, just completely unwelcome. Like I was not welcome there anymore. 
Now, of course, I couldn't tell my dad. I couldn't tell my mom and dad what, what had happened. But specifically, I thought about my dad, that I just could not tell him what happened. Now, my dad wasn't the normal TV lovable dad. You know, he was a good man, and he definitely shared a lot of love with us. But he had that Haitian temper. When he was ticked off, he reacted scorched earth. That means you got your behind whipped. He would rip up and tear up my comics. So there was no way I was going to tell my father that this is what happened. No way I was going to say that to him. So, you know, as few weeks and months went by, I tried to go back into the store to try to make amends. As soon as I would walk in, the manager said, you got to get out. No questions asked. I just couldn't have the heart to tell my dad. I was like, okay, my dad never really went to that store. We never really went to that store growing up. So I said, you know what? It's not a big deal. I could just keep it to myself and then it could just pass. You know, the guilt could pass and I could just let it go. And certainly one way or another, he found out what happened and what I did. He never told me he found out, but I could tell in hindsight that he had, that he had found out because my dad one day we were out somewhere. I don't know. We were out. And then he pulled over right in front of that store. And he asked me, he, he, gave, he put money in my hand and told me he wanted me to go inside and buy, and buy uh, I don't know, a gallon of milk or half a gallon of milk from the store. Something that he never would ask or he would get from that store. But he asked me to go there. And I complained. I bellyached to my dad. I said, man, I have a stomachache. I don't feel like moving. You know, all the kid excuses that you think that you're smart enough to say as to why you can't go into that store. Please, dad, don't make me go into that store. And when my dad was relent relentless, he said, I had to go. You know, I had to go. Why don't I want to go? And finally, I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, you know, I have to admit to you that I'm not welcome in that store anymore. It's the hardest thing to say to my dad. And not only did I have to really relive by telling him the story of what I did, but to see the disappointment in his face and really see the anger in his face. And I said, Dad, you know, I stole comic books from that store and, you know, I got caught and they said, I'm not welcome to come inside. My dad gets pissed. He snatches the money out of my hand. He goes inside the store. He buys, I guess he buys whatever he has to buy. And then he, he comes back and kind of, you know, it's just, you can hear it. You can just hear, I'm going to get it when I get home. Of course, he ripped my behind when I got home. He yelled and screamed and he ripped up the comics that I had. So to me, ripping up the comics was even worse than getting my behind ripped because it's like, you know, I love to read. You're taking stuff away from something about me that I that I love. But that guilt was 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 a was a killer. It was hurting me a, a lot, and it was hurting that I disappointed him. You know, and I at that point I said, of course, you know, of course, I never shoplifted anything again in my life. I didn't want to sit there and 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 wear that. I didn't want to wear that disappointment on my dad. I didn't want to anger him. And quite honestly, I didn't want him any and when he would get not upset anymore. I didn't want him to go into a rampage and rip up comics because my behavior, sometimes when you do kid stuff, that was like the second or third time that he had actually ripped up like a good bunch of comics that I had. So I was like, nope, didn't want to do that at all. Thinking else about dealing with guilt is, you know, you know, fast forward to when I become a dad myself and I'm home, you know, coming, you know, home from, home from, you know, on parole, on, home from incarceration and, and, you know, I'm resuming my my summer visitation and doing all these things with the kids. And, and you know, the kids had sometimes had like summer homework or different things that they had to do. 
and of course, you know, I want to be a dad, you know, and, and part of it was I want to be a good dad. And part of it, I think, was there was a lot of, in my mind, competition. Like I wanted to really show that I was being an effective and great dad, not only to the kids, but I also felt like, you know what, they got a mother and a stepfather and I and I feel like it's two against one. I really got to prove that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do with the kids. And I remember that I think the kids were in some sort of, I don't know if it was a summer program or something like that, that they had enrichment as well. And I remember that, um, that they were work that we were working on math problems with the kids. And as a kid, I was, I hated math, you know, math was such a difficult subject for me. And I remember, um, sitting with Julian in the nineties, I think it was particularly Julian I was sitting with and I was, um, going over a math problem and she just wasn't getting it. She wasn't getting it. And I was getting frustrated. I was like, Oh, Julian, you got to do this. You got to do that. And I thought I was trying to be sympathetic with her as the sympathy that I wanted when I was growing up and doing math, but I, that wasn't a coming across. I think I may have been coming across more impatient and, and, um, and testy and kids could tell, kids could tell a lot of that stuff that's going on. And, and, and Julian, Obviously, you know, she was a, she was, she was small. She was very, very young and she just, you know, just started crying. She broke down crying and that just broke my heart. I, I, I grabbed her. I picked her up. I said, I'm so sorry, sweetie. I said, it's okay. Don't you worry about it. You know, we'll get to it. I showed her again. I might've did most of the stuff for her just to really make her feel better and not for me to feel any more guilty. I just made my little girl cry. You know, I didn't want her to feel that the memories of her being with her dad would be, would, would make her cry. So I, I, it just really, it, it really hurt my heart, you know, and sometimes, you know, it was funny just this week. I, I had to just, I thought about that out of the blue, as far as, you know, what, what you're feeling guilty about. It's funny, the memories that your mind replays for you when it, when, when you, when it's, when you feel guilty, it's, you know, it's a powerful, powerful dynamic. Um, and even before then, the other thing I could think of is um, when I think about my court case, you know, that resulted in my incarceration, I think about the effect that it had on my mother. You know, my mom, you know, really held it down for my sister and I after my dad died. And so much of my of what I wanted to do, whether it was in high school or, or in college or those years after dad died, it was really designed to say, I don't want to disappoint my mother. I want to make life easier for her. And I don't say I was a perfect kid, but I really tried to go through the standpoint of not doing anything crazy or, or buck wild to really put my mother in that type of position. You know, she was she was our only provider. She's who we had, who me and Caitlyn had, and we and I just didn't want to go through that with her. Go make her go through something that was so out of the ordinary. You know, I remember going back to how my how. Um, my dad was, my mother wasn't scorched earth. I had, or was temperamental like my dad, but I just remembered that I just didn't want to take my mother through that. And so I graduated with my first master's degree, going through a divorce. I moved back to New York. I'm working at the, I'm working at my first job, first real job out of college. Then a year, then a year and a half or so after this job, you know, get caught up in this, getting caught up in this court case, you know, that's that, you know, my mom is, helping me pay for a lawyer, going through the emotional trauma of seeing what she, what's going on that she can't fix. And even though I'm saying, well, mom, this is not something that I did. This is not, this is, this is again, you know, this is against me, which a lot of those situations was 
more political than anything. I was just like, look at, you know, just being there, just being present, just being associated with somebody. Now, look at the way this case has has basically cased me up and look at the effect it's having on my mother. That was the hardest thing to see, to see that the look on my mother's face and that effect it had on her. You know, I felt and carried that guilt even when I came home from parole on, on parole. And I was just like, you know, that 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 just weighed on me. I didn't want to put my mother through that anymore. I didn't want to put my mother through that type of situation or guilt anymore. And it was hard to deal with. And, I'm, and you know, I remember even in the even on the day that I was being sentenced, um, you know, they expect you to say how, how sorry you are of what you did and you, you know, you're not going to do it again. And the police have mercy on you after you've been found guilty. But I didn't admit any guilt because I knew I didn't do anything wrong, but I knew that I had a guilty verdict over my head. And in court, the only person that I apologized to was my mother. You know, she was there. I said, I'm sorry as to what this has done to her. You know, I, I didn't know what kind of sentence I was going to get. I knew what the, the district attorney was going for. You know, they were going for eight to 10 years and saying, you better beg for your life. You better do this. You better do that. You didn't take a one to three plea. And I was like, no, the person that I feel the most guilty about in this situation is my mother. My mother's going through this. This is her first and her first and only son, her firstborn and her only son with the prospect of going to prison. No, my mother's who I feel sorry for. I felt guilty for her. That's the only thing. That's the only person I apologize to and express my sorrow for an open court was how the case was affecting my mother. But she knew I was innocent and my mother rode for me like no other else. And that's another reason why I felt so guilty. And, you know, the, one of the last things I can remember, and like I said, I think some of us have more than four things that we feel guilty about, but it's something that came into my mind was I felt guilty about Nanamdi. You know, when Nanamdi uh, was murdered, when Nanamdi died, you know, I just felt like, you know, I'm a father. The father is supposed to protect his son. A father's supposed to be there, like looking at my looking at looking at my, my boy who was murdered, who was who was shot and killed. I said, No, I would have taken all those bullets for you. I would have, I would have done all that for you. I would have gladly made sure that you had a chance to live. And why wasn't I there? Logically, I was in different states. We were we we weren't living in the same state, so Logically, no. Could I have been there to protect him? No, I wasn't there. I wasn't in the vicinity. I wasn't there to be around him. But as a father, those guilty feelings, they take with you take them on. You say, no, no, no. I feel guilty. I mean, this is my boy. This is my son. And to this day, over seven years later that he's gone, there's still parts of me that feel guilty about it. And it was funny that uh, my daughter maybe about a year before my uh, my mom passed away, she she wanted to start to collect different keepsakes and different things from her grand from her grandparents. You know, both her grandmothers were alive at the time. And my mother wasn't sure what that meant. I said, no, Julie wants to know about her legacy. Share these things with her. And I don't know what my mother shared with my daughter, but you know, it, my daughter didn't share extensively what was going on, but she did share with me a little bit after, um, not too long after my mom died, she shared with me that my mother shared with her her potato salad recipe, among other things. And my mother said, my mo- my daughter told me that my mother wrote in letters to her to say that your 
your dad, you know, I wish your dad would not feel responsible, you know, or that, that he feels responsible for Nanamdi's death. Like, you know, he wasn't there for him. And my daughter said to me, daddy, please understand that she told me, Memer said that you felt guilty, but you don't have to feel guilty. You were always there for us. We loved you. We knew we loved you. You loved us. And we knew that you were there for us. You know, I'm listening to my daughter tell me that. And I, you know, I had goosebumps, I had tears. Not only that she told me that, that my mother could recognize that. And my mother said, no, you know, your dad has to release that pain. He has to release it. And, you know, dealing with guilt is such a, such a awful thing. You know, we talked in the last couple of weeks about um, burnout and about depression and guilt, like I said, it's a powerful feeling. And, you know, if you're feeling that way, you know, certainly I, I don't substitute for anybody's mental health professional. I say to make sure if you're looking for that healing, you know, see a mental health professional. That's so very important. But, you know, psychology today also shares with us 10 tips to how to stop feeling guilty or to curb your guilt. And, um, and let's, you know, I'll share those 10 tips with you now. Number one, acknowledge that it exists. Acknowledge that the guilt exists. You know, um, sometimes we have things that are bothering us. We don't even really know what's bothering us. And it's that guilt that's there. It could be, and it could manifest in anxiety and nervousness and anxiousness, you know, and sometimes guilt is the root cause of the things that are, that are challenging us. So at least number one, acknowledge that it's there. So you could face it on and see what's what. Number two, eliminate negative self-talk. Um, one of my mentors, David Rockenberg, always says, you're not the worst thing that you've ever done. You might have you might have done something bad. You might have done something. You might have might be guilty of something, but you're not that person. You're not say you're not to say, well, I'm a bad person. I'm a horrible person. now. No, no. Don't eliminate that self-talk. Number three, find out if there's really a reason to feel guilty. Sometimes the guilt could be unwarranted. Sometimes someone can manipulate us into feeling feeling guilty and we're carrying guilt for no reason or we're just being too hard on ourselves. So find out if there's real reason to feel guilty. Uh, next, remind yourself of all that you do. Remind yourself that, you know what, you are a good person. There's a lot of things that you do. And I and I truly believe that whether it's me, you, anybody with a, with a regular conscience, I'm quite sure that the positive things that you do, the positive things that you are, clearly outnumber any real or perceived transgressions you've done in your life. Next, realize it's okay to have needs. A lot of times, sometimes guilt is rooted in being selfish with your time, sometimes being selfish with your energy and your money. Remember that you can't be all things to all people. Realize it's okay to take care of yourself, as we say, in the airline industry, when you are in need of oxygen, put the mask on yourself first. You have needs and, and you can't help anybody else if you're not helping yourself. Next, establish boundaries. Sometimes guilt could happen from result from unhealthy or unclear boundaries where you feel like you have to do more than what you should do. Establish healthy boundaries to make expectations clear of what of what others should expect from you and what you should expect from yourself. Next, make amends. Sometimes be, feeling guilty is indeed something that you've done that you have to apologize for, 
that you have to be remorseful for, that you have to make amends to someone, make amends and apologize and reach out to that person to say, you know what, I'm, I apologize. I was wrong. I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm sorry. You know, make amends to, dis, to, to discard and unload that feeling. Doesn't mean that someone accepts it, but the thing is, you have gone to make sure that you have uh, that you have started the dynamic of healing by making amends. Next, understand what you could control. There are, you know, you might feel responsible, like I said about, like I said about Nanamdi being killed. You know, I feel responsible for it, but I have to address what I could control. You know what I mean? I have to understand what I could control. I couldn't control what happened to him. Now, I say that to you logically, emotionally, I may not always feel that way, but I have to understand that I have to understand what I can control. And even if I was living in Louisiana at the time, I might not have been able to control it. I might not have been able to, to take that on. And, 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 and sometimes that's when you have to have that grace and mercy on yourself, have that grace for yourself. Number nine, address any mental health challenges, like I indicated to you. If you have to sit there and see a mental health professional to, to deal with past trauma or whatever's playing a role in your guilt that you feel that's unmanageable to, for yourself, then it's okay to seek out help. Do not be afraid to seek out help. This is essential in part as part of your, your reentry journey and as part of your life. Seek out that help. And number 10, understand that being perfect does not exist. Perfection doesn't exist. We all make mistakes. I tell my students all the time that I've learned more from the mistakes that I've made than the accomplishments that I've earned. It being Making a mistake doesn't mean you're a bad person. You're learning. You're growing. This is what we do through life. This is what we do through our reentry journey. And don't let yourself be hampered or, or riddled with guilt because you're not perfect. Guess what? No one else is perfect either. Even if, the, even if that person at work that person at the office, that person at school, that person sitting next to you on the train, that person next to you on the road, that they're not perfect either. They, they are holding down things like you're holding it down and maybe holding worse things down than you are. You know, um, a lot of things in, in when we talk about guilt, we look at a lot of things in life that we've that have not gone right. We have not done right. And that's OK. Um, but I could tell you what I know that I got right. I got right, these kids. You know, Julian and Namdi, best things that have ever happened to me. That's what I got right. And the Namdi's with our Heavenly Father and with our other relatives. So I know he's in a good place. And Julian is now an outstanding mother, you know, an outstanding wife. You know, I'm just loving what she's doing with her family dynamic and the work that she's doing. And and now having a granddaughter is just an amazing thing. As I record this, this coming Sunday, my granddaughter turns one year old. She's going to be one. 12 months has happened, has happened so quickly that this little baby Janelle has just been such a joy. So when I think about those negative feelings and I look at the hope and the love and the happiness in Janelle's face, you know, that's enough to erase any guilt. That's enough to assuage any guilt to say, you know what? This is something I got right. I helped raise I helped raise a phenomenal woman who's now raising another phenomenal woman in her image. And you know, my sweet little boogie bear Janelle, 
Pepper is coming down to see you for your birthday, to cut cake with you, to hug you, to kiss you on Sunday, to wish you one of many, many, many birthdays. You know, Pepper loves you. And and that's something I definitely don't have to feel guilty for, having a wonderful and lovely granddaughter such as such as such as you. Well, and we've made it through another week. You've made it through another week. So certainly stay healthy, stay safe. And, you know, work, work on getting rid of that guilt. And we're going to keep on, we're going to keep on trugging along on this reentry journey and making positive steps every step away with every topic we talk about. So thank you so much for joining us. Continue to support us. Continue to give us ratings. Continue to give us reviews. Thank you for continuing to support Second Chance Coaching. I love you all. Thank you again. And thank you. Thank you so much again for joining us. I really appreciate your support. And I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you again for joining us here at Second Chance Coaching. In addition to coaching services for individuals and businesses, I'm also available for speaking engagements and workshops on criminal justice reentry, human resources, as well as organizational culture and leadership. Feel free to email me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com, as well as connect with me on Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Remember, every day you are given this opportunity for your second chance, and I know you'll make the best of it. I love you all, and I look forward to connecting with you next time here at Second Chance Coaching.